Hello and welcome to the Maiden Voyage, the first take, the episode one of the Shuttlesworth Initiative, a basketball pod brought to you by the blog radio team uh, and the off the glass team and host of pods that are available. I am your host, Jay Christian, along with my co-host, Chris Green, here bringing you things about basketball and pop culture and everything in between. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself, let the people know you're in here. Hello, hello, everyone. Chris uh, Green here. Um, just going to kind of provide some, maybe a little more statistical input to some of these debates um, and try not to get overrun by a terrific debater himself, Jay Christian. So, yeah, uh, I am a terrific debater. Chris, thank you for that <laughs> shout out. Uh, what we want to do to all the folks listening, uh, whether that's one or one million, uh, we want to bring a different take uh, in this basketball pod. Of course, we're going to talk hoops, we're going to talk stats, but we also want to bring a little pop culture flavor to the pod. Um, a little less pick and roll and a little more pop culture, I would say. So we'll be discussing the league, we'll be discussing our favorite shoes, our favorite movies, um, whatever you can think of under the sun, Chris and I will be bringing it to you. Um, yep. Just a, a note to you, if you want to click that subscribe button and follow us here for uh, each new adventure here on the Shuttlesworth Initiative, we'd be happy to have you as a listener. And also check out our network of pods that we host with Off the Glass family of networks. We have the Celtic Express, Full Access Hoop, Brooklyn Buzz, and a host of other pods that are rapidly gaining fame and fortune for us here at Off the Glass. So please take that time and uh, become a subscriber and a listener to those pods. Without further ado, Chris, the new yes, NBA sir. season is upon us. What are your first impressions so far of this uh, young NBA season? You know, coming off of the very exciting offseason where a lot of people move teams, obviously, um, really to keep up in the arms race, to use Daryl Morey's uh, line in the offseason from the Rockets, uh, it, it's – it's been okay, but I, I think typically, as you find in, what are we in November right now, it's everyone's sort of waiting towards the last month of the season where you can really see some more playoff seedings and who is going to challenge the uh, Warriors. So I would say initial impressions, uh, to kind of see the Cavs struggle a little bit has been a little surprising, even though they did have some some overturn with Kyrie leaving for Boston, but um you know, seeing CP3 get hurt has kind of stunted my decision on how the Rockets are going and uh, if they're going to be a viable challenger, even as well as Harden is playing right now. I guess we really won't know until CP3 comes back to see how they're going to mesh. But um, I would say a typical season. The, the Warriors are, are getting back into into the stroll of things. I saw they lost uh, last – see – much of the record, they're kind of on a roll now after starting kind of slow. I think they started three and four, but um, those are kind of my impressions. Uh, it's going to be Warriors and somebody, <laughs> and if not, it's going to be a <laughs> it's going to be a shocker to me. So you're taking the easy way out, huh? Warriors and somebody. Yeah. Why not just say Warriors and Cavs three? Why don't we just go ahead and uh, skip to no, the I'm end? Not, right? I'm not real confident on the Cavs. Oh yeah, uh, it's going to as well as LeBron is playing, and he's probably playing the best. Uh, really all-around season that we've seen in his career. Uh, he's shooting almost 60% at this point, which is Shaquille O'Neal style. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it's going to be them. Uh, Boston looks pretty strong. They're not very deep, but uh, it's just unimaginable to me, being that I'm 
only in my 30s to really see a player like LeBron attempt to go to the finals for his eighth straight season. It's You almost want to go and pick the other, but LeBron's continually proving me wrong. So maybe it will be Cavs. So let me ask you this. Who is the challenger in the East for the Cleveland Cavaliers? If you could pick, uh, give me your top two. If you say these teams are the teams that I think win healthy, say assume everyone's at full strength. So we'll give the Cavs IT. um, We'll give the Cavs everyone they have on their bench that's sort of recovering. uh, Derrick Rose to, you know, whatever value that adds uh, for a playoff push versus the field. Who are the two teams that you're taking? You know, it's going to probably be, uh, it's probably no surprise, Boston's going to be up there if they can get over the hump. Kyrie, even as as similar as he plays to IT, I think he does a little bit more down the clutch, and he's just a terrific, hard shot maker. Um, The other team would be the Wizards, but almost by default, as the East doesn't go too deep whenever we discuss real challengers of the Cavs, but, you know, John Wall's kind of a wild card. He can be best point guard in the league on some nights, and then sometimes he's just kind of floating in the top ten, and he's really got to be aggressive while getting Bradley Beal and everybody involved to really keep their pace. But the it, it really kind of lands on how Kelly Oubre is going to play for them, being that he's a wingman and he just sticks LeBron a lot whenever they play. He's got to have a fantastic series for Washington to really knock off uh, Cleveland. But I would put Boston maybe as a, a top-tier competitor to Cleveland over Washington. Uh, But again, it's going to rely on Kyrie really down the stretch, being that LeBron will probably never check him unless maybe it's the last couple possessions of a game. And even that's asking a lot for LeBron. Do you still see that in LeBron? The sort of, I think it was 2011 maybe after the Heatles sort of first came together down in South Beach where LeBron was still peak defensive performer, and then, you know, there are a few series, a few plays where he's checking Derrick Rose late in games. He's kind of drawing the best assignment defensively. I feel like that still happens in terms of sort of the, the symbolic nature of that, right? So LeBron will step out, and he, he'll, you know, slap the floor, and he's got the uh, right. got the, the top guy on the offensive end to guard for the other team. But I don't, I don't know if guys are as afraid of that as they used to be. Do you think that's accurate? or? No, yeah, I think that's accurate. I, I, I'm trying to remember if Shane Battier was probably was part of that first team where uh, they did go find the Bulls in the first round and the Bulls even stole a game. And then obviously the Heat won four straight where LeBron was checking rows at the end of the games. I, I think where LeBron has been able to really show a better defensive prowess is having another stopper on the team that can really take care of, uh, you know, the Durants of the, of the world, et cetera. And then maybe LeBron gets to have him at the end of the game. Um, I don't see a player on Cleveland that can really provide that for LeBron. You know, they've got Iman Shumpert, who's a great defender in his own right. J.R. Smith has kind of maybe shown that that one defensive season where he was playing real well, maybe it was more fluke than, than uh, what the norm would be. So, I would say that in a scenario, let's say, let's we'll just say Boston. Um, he's obviously not going to go Kyrie the whole game. Maybe that's more position than really just keeping LeBron fresh. But I could still see LeBron at the end of the game go head-to-head against Kyrie. But I'm telling you, Kyrie hits obviously extremely hard contested shots. Um, and I, I, would, I would not be surprised if, Kyrie gets the better of that matchup at the end of the game. So this loud cough you hear <clears throat> is one Jeff Green, and the <laughs> other is for <clears throat> Mr. Jay Crowder. 
uh, in terms of weak defenders? Are they not doing it for you in terms of 3 and D guys that can uh, draw some of those tougher assignments and take the load off LeBron defensively? You know, I'm going to have to retort with a cough. <laughs> for just if, if Ty Lue is going to decide to actually play Jeff Green on a consistent <laughs> basis, then maybe that's the case. And he had a terrific game the other night. Yeah, was he not balling? I mean, yeah, I mean, it was Jeff Green of old Boston when when he used to actually give LeBron headaches there right. for a little while. Yep. Uh, post the Boston Big Three or Big Four. Yep. Um, if, if he decides to play him, maybe the strategy is keep Jeff Green, you know, fresh. And they obviously got Jay Crowder in that uh, trade in the offseason where I thought it would really bolster uh, their defensive efforts. But I, I think what we're finding is, you know, both those players are traditionally your uh, small forwards. LeBron's traditionally your small forward. Everyone's still trying to find really what their role is when the three of them or even just two of them are on the court at the same time. So, I don't know if I'd put Jay Crowder in the elite defender uh, thing yet, but it could just be a combination of him just really not knowing his role offensively, and maybe that's taken away his defensive efforts. They're really all having to guard against, well, what do we do if Kevin loves our five with Tristan Thompson out? How are we really going to guard against maybe we can't help too far this way or that way and leave Kevin on the block with someone that's a more talented scorer in the you know, in the veins of even a Martin Cortat uh, with Washington uh, that usually gives uh, Love a hard time. So it may just be a total team defense thing that's really maybe not uh, showing out each individual's uh, own defensive efforts, but um, I guess we'll wait and see. I do like Jeff Green, though, in the game more often than than uh, Jay Crowder just from a scoring effort. So then what is your ideal five for a healthy Cleveland Cavaliers team? You know, ideally, it would obviously be uh, assuming Isaiah Thomas can come back to even, I'm not even asking for his MVP candidate season last year. If it's just maybe around 18 to 20 points a game with decent shooting percentage, I would take that. I would go with J.R. Smith at the two. I would uh, prefer maybe Jeff Green at the three, uh, LeBron playing the four with those two kind of interchangeable depending on who the defensive, uh, depending on who the other team brings out. And then Kevin Love at the five uh, with Tristan being his backup. I think that that lineup provides enough scoring, which you really need more at this point than uh, than I really think a defensive stalwart team. Uh, that would be my ideal five. So who has a better shoe, Kyrie or LeBron? Oh, LeBron. Oh, wow. That was that was quick. You don't want to – His – you know, his, initially the LeBron shoes coming out were kind of the weak, but I think that I was in more of the frame of protecting the Jordan legacy <laughs> and arguing anything LeBron at that time. Uh, but And maybe I'm a little crowded with I don't like the antics of Kyrie, how he played the offseason. Oh, the antics. Let's talk about that. What about the antics did you not like? Do, please explain. Well, so here's, the, so here's the debate. Everyone gets on to uh, Durant, obviously, for going to join up a superstar. And then in, in turn, everyone gets mad at Kyrie for leaving a superstar. Sure. I think what I was surprised about, and I think what I'm starting to slowly realize is LeBron has a hold on the Cavs organization to a degree that I guess my, I just really overlooked back when all that was first reported in uh, 07 and 08 and, and uh, 09. So I, I want to say I fault Kyrie maybe for the lack of I, – I saw the report where they were playing um, – 
I forget who they were playing in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Uh, the Boston Celtics. Was the Celtics okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was where Kyrie didn't speak a word the entire. <laughs> <laughs> was it the entire series during the uh, actual practice sessions that they had? And I just thought that was extremely bizarre. Right. Right. And, because on the other hand, we hear that LeBron and Kyrie had an okay relationship up until that point. And then I just thought, holy cow, they're going to, one of them's going to leave. Sure. Well, I think so. I mean, LeBron's gone anyway, right? I mean, isn't that the rumor? Or oh, what yeah. do you, what do you think about that? Do you think LeBron is out of there after yeah. this? Yeah. When they say that Lonzo is the next Magic Johnson in the Lakers, no, it's really just LeBron's fixing to come to the Lakers and then that'll be the next Magic Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to the Lakers, and I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that he's going to end up staying in Cleveland. So, okay, but then that, that begs a question. With LeBron in the East, and we were talking about this at the top of the pod, um, you know, he could, you know, retool and essentially go to the finals in the East, for, you know, for the next two, three seasons maybe until either Milwaukee puts it together or Washington figures it out. But even then, I think LeBron still has um, – Two maybe three seasons at peak LeBron, uh, so so in the argument there, why not stay in Ohio in the Eastern Conference uh, with a, I mean, relatively proven roster as opposed to going uh, right. to LA with a young, unproven squad. What's the, um, I mean, what's the rationale for going to LA other than making movies and TV shows? Well, I sort of think, and even the the movie route, I guess he'd really only be free for shooting you know, three months in the off season. It's not like he could really do a movie, uh, you know, during the season. But um, I guess the rationale would be how people decide to look at legacies. Mm-hmm. Um, people really get discounted now for going to the finals and losing rather than the seasons that the team doesn't even make the finals. Sure. So it almost appears that it would be better for LeBron to continually go to the West, just losing the Western Conference to a superior team, versus the mentality of. He's always getting to the finals in a quote-unquote East week and then losing to a superior team. Because right. then it then it comes down to he just can't win the, the big one right when he gets at the end, no matter how many big ones he ends up winning. Sure. So that's a – I think you could look at that any, either way. I, I don't see him going to L.A. and then all of a sudden that team is a contender to um, to the Warriors. But if he did go to L.A., I have a – I'm thinking that he would end up bringing some other players with him. So that's a good point. I had a discussion with someone the other day um, about, I think there was an article about the Lakers, you know, pretty much shopping Julius Randle, right? Like if anyone sees him in a Lakers uniform next year, that will be a shock to all included, um, or all involved rather. And that got me thinking, I I was having this discussion with someone and I said, you know, the Lakers just don't. They don't. They're not the Cubs, right? They're not. They don't. They're not the Red Sox. They don't build the team. There's no farm system, right? It's like the Yankees. You know, you don't. You know, the Yankees are kind of going through this youth movement now, and they're sort of having buy-in, but they still have a star, Aaron Judge, for example. But you know, the Lake and the Lakers don't. They don't get D-league, you know, prospects and draft picks that they mold and cultivate. They get the superstars, right? Even Magic, when they've lucked out. And when they picked early in the draft, when they got Magic, they also had the best basketball player in the world at the time in Kareem, right? Yeah, the uh, fact they win the championship right. around and they get the draft match one is incredible. Right, right. And then in 82, right, they get James Worthy when they could have had, you know, they had James yeah. Worthy in that draft and a draft that still had Dominique Wilkins. And, you know, imagine him running with the Showtime Lakers at that time. So, oh, yeah. 
Crazy. Uh, yeah. So the Lakers don't, and even now, like you don't, you don't bring in magic for the farm system, right? You bring in magic to illegally text Paul George and, <laughs> and these guys, right? Like you don't, you bring him in to bring in superstars. That's what the team is. And so I've just say all that to say, I, I wonder who would be on the Lakers next year. Uh, it at the prospect of LeBron and, and another superstar possibly coming to town, right? I wonder if they don't. Um, so my conspiracy theory is LeBron goes to L.A. Uh, he transitions to uh, power forward. He becomes Draymond Green 2.0, right? Draymond right. Green with the passing, the scoring, and everything else, but infinitely better, right? Uh, right. Paul George signs on. He's your de facto three. Uh, yep. And then the Lakers maybe move some other pieces around. I'm looking at Brandon Ingram, looking at Julius Randle. Uh, to get maybe one more star under their belt and really go after the Warriors for the next couple of years. Um, yeah, I, I see. I, I definitely think that you're on the right track with the Paul George, being that he's just got that one year left in OKC. That you know, short of OKC winning a championship, I think that he's out of there. He sees LeBron go to LA. I think it's a no-brainer for him to go to LA. They can package up Ingram, uh, maybe Randall. You know, maybe their draft pick depending on where they fall this year. I think they could go get somebody else, and then that could really develop uh, Lonzo. Uh, I don't think Lonzo really flourishes uh, where, although he was the best player technically on UCLA last year, he really flourishes if he got better players around him, as does most point guards. Rajon Rondo comes to mind. Right. Um, You have LeBron and Paul George and everybody around Lonzo, I think that really flourishes him, uh, develops him either way, and... uh, it will just be a debate on who would pull the trigger, you know, after seeing LeBron and, and Paul George go to L.A., what team is willing to take on their, you know, project pieces in order to give L.A. now another dominant piece. And so do you think that still exists in the league, in your opinion, that sort of, you know, why would we help the Lakers? I mean, anyone outside of Jerry West, right, About <laughs> in terms of, yeah, why are we going to send the guy here unless you have a, you know, Paul George situation of last year where it's like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not signing here. So, you know, if you want to trade, that's me. what it's going to take. I, I don't think it's going to take somebody in the, maybe in the last year of their deal to be able to force that trade where LA can get them basically another team stuck with taking assets, just not to lose their superstar. Sure. And I don't know contractually who would be in the last year of their deal this year, other than what comes to mind, LeBron and, and Paul George. But, um, yeah, I, I think there. I think what it just becomes a leverage game in these trades anymore. I don't think any team, and minus the West scenario that you mentioned, uh, where I, I think people don't like to necessarily help build super teams, and right. it, it takes the leverage scenario for that to even pan out. Now. So we've gone heavy on the LeBron talk, and that's just sort of the basketball universe. I think right now, despite what um, people in other locales say, it's still all about LeBron. Um, yeah. And since we here at the Shuttlesworth Initiative uh, like a little drama with our basketball, um, LeBron is sort of peak new dude. I guess maybe transitioning new dude, right? I would say peak new dude is probably the James Hardens of the world, right? These guys that are right. uh, at concerts with Travis Scott and the skinny jeans. and That's probably peak right. new dude. LeBron is in that, that, tweener, that tweener age. He remembers a, a pre-social media NBA uh, versus guys, you know, sliding the DMs now uh, in today's yeah. NBA. But that being said, he's learned to leverage the medium uh, quite well. Um, his uh, subtweets are as legendary as his 
as his game. And uh, he has not disappointed this week. Uh, earlier this week, he uh, in an obvious shot <laughs> at uh, the recently departed Phil Jackson said that uh, the Knicks should have picked Dennis Smith when they had the opportunity. Uh, so that created uh, some buzz for the new cycle. Uh, the Cavs go into Madison Square Garden, uh, go down by as much as 23, end up winning the game. Uh, LeBron finishes with 23, 9, and 12, rebound shy of a triple-double, uh, gets into it with a uh, noted trash talker in his canter. Uh, <laughs> my guy, Frank from New York, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, he got a, I think he tried to bump LeBron, but LeBron didn't move and Frank did, so I don't know what that was about <laughs> necessarily. Uh and then LeBron, I think either from the locker room or the plane, <laughs> sends out a tweet uh, with him coming down court over the uh, MSG or the New York Knicks logo, excuse me, uh, saying that's his favorite playground. So, Chris, what do you think of uh, LeBron's subtweeting and his uh, sort of backhanded comments uh, to the Knicks organization and the Knicks sort of in their feelings after the game? Because I saw it on both sides, right? On social media, I saw folks saying, you know, uh, the Knicks didn't back down and they weren't afraid of LeBron and Cantor was up for the challenge, but at the same time, you know, nothing happened. Just a bunch of guys, uh, as Charles Barkley would say, just two dudes who can't fight in each other's face. Uh, and uh, they blew a 23 point lead. So what, what was your take on LeBron's uh, uh, week with New York? So a lot of things come to mind. Uh, I guess it really started with that press conference where he did mention they should have taken uh, Dennis Smith and, and, and LeBron mentioned he's known uh, Dennis, since he was 13 or 14, went to his camp and, and whatnot. I think he obviously, by picking out a, a player that a team should have drafted, you kind of throw the guy they did draft under the bus. And it doesn't help that that Frank. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt it. I think it's Nelly. Nel, let's see, Nelikina. This is why That's I didn't try. You know, he's only averaging about four points a game this year. Sure. And comparatively, while Dennis Smith isn't necessarily shooting that great from the field, I think it's around 40, he's averaging 15 and looks like the bright spot to a deteriorating, you know, uh, Maverick team. So I think by default, you pick out a player a team should have drafted, it's going to look bad on the player they did draft. And Enos Cantor has put on the Superman cape for any and every player that <laughs> over there. You'll remember he got into it with uh, Kevin Durant when they went back to OKC yep. and had that little trash talk from the bench. So I, he's almost becoming that that's his role versus I would like to see him average 20 if he's going to continually bump players rather than his <laughs> uh, 14 or so, I guess, that he averages a year. Um, you know, it's – New York has got their chest out right now. Ever since the, I'm going to say the alabaster Patrick Ewing <laughs> came to town. Uh, I've heard everything from uh, Porzingod to Godzingus. And, uh, <laughs> the guy's got terrific nicknames. He is awesome, though. He's been the one surprise this year that I did not think he was going to be able to put up these numbers in, in lieu of Mello leaving. Uh, but, but New York is proud of what this guy can bring, and uh, after that press conference, uh, I think on the Knicks Instagram, they put out that, you know, Porzingis was the real king of New York. And so LeBron putting that post up after the game doesn't surprise me. It was in lieu of, of New York calling Porzingis the king. So, But here's my thing. They gave up a 23-point lead. What are you doing? Like, to me, uh, just live to fight another day. You, 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 I don't want to say choke, but, I mean, geez, like, just keep it moving. 
But that is classic New York to me. That that is classic. They they are the epitome of I'll, I'll just they are the Dallas Cowboy fans at the moment. Where yeah. you seem to have a lot of New York fans. Maybe the lack of recent success, um, but you still have them. Whenever they have a couple uh, a, a couple game winning streak, you're just gonna. That's just how it is. They're they're proud of their team, uh, win or lose, and especially when they win, it's it's here come the glory days again. So you lose a 23 point lead, <laughs> yeah, you you might as well just turn your phone off. <laughs> uh, so I was going to ask you then, uh, New York success, relative success, because yep. um, they got Carmelo out the paint, or they got Phil Jackson out the paint, or both. It's going to be both. Okay. Uh, I don't see them, you know, if you thought when Melo went to New York, remember when they initially did that trade, they had to basically gut their team to get Oh, they gave the squad away for Melo, yeah. Yeah. Versus if Melo would have just sat on his hands for six months and then just went and signed there in the offseason, he would have had an entire loaded loaded team, really. Sure. Uh, Denver, even in the early years, started to do better than New York did in in lieu of that trade. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. what Phil Jackson did, and this is where the old guard to the new guard really has happened in the NBA, where uh, Popovich has shown a knack to really kind of change his mindset. Those championship years for them, they won on defense initially. They won on post play. Then they moved, and they set a three-point made record when they beat the, the Heat in five games. So he has changed with the times where Phil Jackson – even not being a coach and having to really just draft players, he got some flack for, for drafting uh, Porzingis at first, and that's sort of panned out. But given the contracts that he did to Noah and um, – oh, I'm skipping on the, the, the shooting guard's name. Oh, um, shoot. He was involved in the, the fracas last night as well. Uh, he was on the – Oh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Fight. Uh, no, not Tim Hardaway. Uh, he did give him a contract, but I'm thinking of uh, the guy that played with the Magic uh, when Dwight. Went oh, uh, my guy Courtney Lee. Yeah, it's Courtney Lee. Yeah, yep. Courtney Lee. I think fifty million dollars or something yes. like that. Yes, I, I um, could not forget that now, legend at the bank. Yeah, Courtney Lee. Now, now here's the deal: the Courtney Lee one looks bad, but giving seventy million to to Hardaway, that's sort of the market. I mean, you're going to have to pay that now today's NBA, but yep. he just the Noah thing didn't translate, and he. He just had an older style of, I mean, the, the triangle does not work, and it, it it sort of even prevails now, unless you have the type of players that are just juggernauts. Uh, yeah, no, I always, yeah, no, I always thought that the the the, <laughs> the triangle, whenever Phil's talking the triangle, the triangle was, you know, Scotty and Mike at the top, and then on one angle was Kobe, and the other angle was Shaq, right? There's your triangle right there. That's a lot of a lot of coaches would have had success, you know, minus the Doug Collins era where he really didn't win with a young Michael or a Wizards Michael, but uh, maybe even Rudy Tomjanovich didn't win with the post Shaq older Kobe. Uh, but a lot of coaches would have had success with that tandem. Now, granted, you have the the early I'm going to say the the early model Dirk Nowitzki with uh, Tony Kukoc on those Bulls teams that really allowed him to play stretch four when the league wasn't wasn't doing that. And it's just a model now where everyone's a stretch four. I I think I saw a stat the other day where it was maybe seven or eight players that were averaging over five three-pointers a game that were all 6'10 and taller. And, I mean, that's that's not even – you don't have one of those guys back in the 90s. So – Right. Bill Jackson, his idea for building a team, you want to bring in a coach like Hornacek that wanted to run and gun, but you want to uh, 
do the triangle. It, it didn't make much sense. I'm, I'm, never mind what didn't make sense with the Derek Fisher. <laughs> well, that's that another – man, life is funny, right? Because uh, that was Kerr's remember, job. And, remember, though, he had a commitment with Steve Kerr. And mm-hmm. then when Kerr got the um, offer from the Golden State Warriors, and that's where his family lives, Phil allowed him out of that contract. So oh, yeah. think of how everything could be different. Mark Jackson may have would have kept his job. Right. Mark Jackson, who needs a job right now, I can't believe he doesn't have a job. But Steve Kerr now will go down as however you want to rank him by the end of all this when Steph has six or seven rings and Durant has five or six rings. Who knows where Kerr ends up? And that's funny because, I mean, I don't think – and I think Mark got obviously got the Warriors to the playoffs, and I think that was a 50-win season uh, that year. But – you know he's he's an old school guy too. I don't know if the Warriors are the same Warriors with him sort of pulling the levers. Um, I don't know no, if Draymond true. Green yeah. is Draymond Green. You know, with Mark Jackson that's still. A, that's a good point because you know they they went up in wins, uh, more than ten wins that first season. Kerr came in, so that is a good point. I think what I've been hearing uh, uh, is they'd like to see Mark Jackson in New York, but you're right. Uh, he would for those older guys that come in that come from the older systems, they have to really show an adaption where Kerr has shown that adaption. Uh, but like I said, Popovich is the gold standard for old guys coming in, and uh, he just makes it work, man. So maybe maybe Mark would be able to adapt. And so while we're on New York, and we'll put a nice little bow on it since we were talking social media, I have to get your thoughts on our good friend. I say our good friend. He has no idea who we are and probably didn't listen to this pod. But if you're out there, Mr. Peter Vesey, uh, Peter, longtime New Yorker, used to love him on uh, NBA on NBC when I was a kid, get that John Tesh intro and go to Hannah Storm and Peter Vesey and Bill Walton, Snapper Jones, uh, right. the whole crew back from our childhood. Uh, yeah. Mr. Vesey was, speaking of caping, caping for Enos Cantor and just observing that Cantor uh, in a very publicized feud with the Turkish government and uh, with relations to his family and uh, atrocities going on in Turkey. Uh, Mr. Vesey observed that Cantor would not be afraid of uh, LeBron or anyone else having gone through what he's going through in his personal life, Uh, to which he quoted a very uh, famous Biggie Smalls line, a New Yorker who's in love with uh, the Brooklyn rapper. And he said that, uh, you know, let's just go out there. The N-words bleed just like them. So he said, Cantor, hey, why would you be afraid of LeBron? Because uh, LeBron and other N-words uh, breathe the same air as Cantor. Uh, and uh, social media didn't really like it. Vesey has no back down in him. And so it was just kind of an awkward moment where Vesey, uh, you know, quotes the tweet, quotes the rap line on the tweet. People say, hey, man, that's not a good look. Vesey's like, what are you talking about? And then it kind of goes from there. Um, I... See, this is the... Oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. This is the dangerous game, being a, being a white male who is obviously <laughs> in touch with the culture. It, it's just never a good look, whether right. you think it's okay to ride in your car by yourself and uh, <laughs> listen to whatever song you want that doesn't give you necessarily the right to say any words you want. Right. Um, and I think that people get caught up thinking that, um, 
that they can say that or they have the quote-unquote street cred to say what they sure. want to say. It's never a good look. It just really isn't. And I think that white people in general need to just say, you know what, there's lots of words in the dictionary. <laughs> we'll use any other word in the world. <laughs> <that one. laughs> uh, no, I think, I think that's right. And uh, as a black male, full disclosure for the people that can't see us here on the pod, uh, yeah, I just, I, I liken it to, like I wouldn't, you know, and, and, and as as is the case most times with social media and Twitter and other platforms, um, it swings both ways, right? There are people that say, hey, you guys are all snowflakes. Get over it. Then it swings the other way. And, you know, people write think pieces about Peter Vesey and his tweet. Um, and I'm sort of benign in the middle of it, just kind of like, eh, wasn't a good look, but I'm not, you know, sort of personally offended yeah, per se. Yeah, I'm, I'm really of the opinion that, if you say something in front of a hundred people and one person is offended, that ought to be enough to not say what you said. I agree. Um, I agree. Now, really, everyone gets offended over a lot of stuff these days, but shouldn't we really kind of want to live in a world where you really just don't offend anybody? Right. That ought to be pretty ideal. <laughs> right. Uh, and I just thought it, you know, what surprised me was, one, that he went there. It kind of reminded me, and this is kind of a... This is kind of a jump, maybe, but if you if I can hold this analogy together, so it's like when it's not minstrel minstrel show blackface from like Jim Crow 1900s, sure. but it's okay when someone says, "Well, I'm going to be, you know, LeBron James for Halloween," and you're a person that's not of African American descent, and yeah. you have the jersey and you have the headband, you got the gear, all that, the whole nine, um, you got the arm sleeve and you do the powder, and you said, "You know what'll really." Put this, bring this all together. The piece de la resistance. Let me cover my face in blackface. It's like no, right. no. You can just be LeBron. <laughs> like you don't. Like, no, why? And, and for those for those people that get caught in those pictures and then they act as if I didn't know what I was doing. Or I, I'll tell you what, I, I have gone for Halloween as obviously Michael Jordan, Deion Sanders, and Frank Thomas. And it just never occurred to me that that was the uh, <laughs> final piece of the costume. It, when you have the jersey and you get the hat right, or you get the do-rag right in uh, Dion's case, right uh, with the bandanas, uh, I think that people know what you're going for. I agree, and I just, I, and even if you think, well, and you could be right, objectively, person who wants to smear black stuff on their face before Halloween, you know, and maybe right. that would help the costume. But to your point a second ago. It's like, do I really need to walk? Is it worth it to walk out of the house like this just to? Some arbitrary acknowledgement of my costume, but anyways, yeah, I was... you got the player's name on, on the jersey. <laughs> and it's like if someone sees the, the blackface, they're going to say, "Oh, that's who you're." All right, right. I was wondering because you know he's I'm black and you're not. I was I was lost, but, right. but then you smeared that all over your face. Um, right. Yeah, I just wanted to. I thought that was interesting. And I, I, my man Peter Vesey, I, I was wondering why he was trending. I never know. I look, I see what's trending, and I immediately think, "Oh, <laughs> now it's." I think, okay, this person's either dead or they said something really stupid. So, yeah, or, or it's a sexual harassment charge now. With yep. Going on a couple months. Yeah, it's it's a hesitant flip for me now. It's like, ah, crap. What did, did uh, my, yeah. man, my man Vessi went strong and uh, a little, little, got a little too familiar, I guess, one could say. Right. Um, all right. So enough hoop talk. We've gone yeah. hoops um, for the first part of the show here. I want to get to something that is very important. Um, something that I think deserves attention, uh, something that is near and dear to your heart. Uh, for our listeners out there, um, Chris is an avid, I mean, super, super avid Batman fan. 
Uh, I rock with Superman. I'm in the Superman camp, caping for the Man of Steel all day. And just as much as I love Superman, um, Mr. Green is a huge Batman fan. Um, And in honor of this week's release of Justice League, we are going to talk superheroes. We're going to talk Chris's favorite, Batman. Uh, and we're going to bring a little basketball into it. So before we get into your Batman fandom, first of all, am I, is that an accurate representation? I don't want to, you know, misspeak. Here. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Usually the, the word that gets associated is the obsession and we don't like to use the O word. Around yeah, no, in no, my household, yeah, so, no, we're um, just talking about fandom labels. Will, yeah. Fandom will work out just fine. I would say a little disclaimer. I, I did, uh, Superman was really my thing back in the early days and then i just slowly uh once i realized that batman was actually the only attainable uh hero being that you could technically be a billionaire you could technically be the playboy lifestyle and you could technically fight crime at night like a vigilante uh that's sort of where i went you know that's actually pretty reasoned i never thought about it that way but uh he's the most attainable even if it's not necessarily really attainable. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no that's uh i i think a radioactive spider or you know right. something hitting me from space and changing me is probably as likely as me being a billionaire but i do see your point in theory you are Although correct I, I will tell you they do say there is the debate between if batman is actually a superhero or not being he has no superpowers but I did hear a joke the other day where his superpower is actually white privilege. <laughs> <laughs> and it is hard to argue against that. And you know what? I would take that over being able to fly any day. So let's talk cinema for a second. What did you think? Did you see Wonder Woman, first of all? Yes, I did see Wonder Woman. And what did you think of that? Uh, as far as the... Uh, DC Universe goes, which is where Batman and Superman are all under. Um, it is the best. Uh, it's obviously the first time we've seen Wonder Woman on the big screen uh, and not just TV iterations. Uh, it, it's the best of the DC movies that I've seen that include Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman as far as telling a succinct story. It's a nice origin story uh, and really without sexualizing what generally happens in sort of heroic women uh, movies. It's, it's, it's a terrific movie for really showing a positive image of women and what they can bring to the table. Wonder Woman is all as, every bit as powerful as Superman in the comics. Um, and so, yeah, I really did like the movie a lot. I agree with that. I think it is, so far, so far the best... Uh, offering from the from the sort of rebooted DC universe, um, I as being like I said a huge Superman fan, disappointed uh, a little bit in Man of Steel. Um, I think that uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman is still the one that holds up, um, right. like forty some odd years later, which is a, a testament to how well Chris Reeve uh, played that role, and also just how shameful you know people have sort of. Uh, handled the franchise, in my opinion. Uh, I'll, I'll nerd out here a bit and say that, um, you know, Superman, the, the, in a lot of ways, is the antithesis of Batman. You know, um, you know there was a, a run here, and perhaps you can talk about this more. There was a run of these sort of dark and brooding, you know, Batmans that came to the screen, right? And so I feel as though uh, the Superman franchise tried to go that way, and it's a very dark sort of Man of Steel movie when, you know, I'm looking for sort of the comic relief, you know, Superman's a little campier and everyone knows that, right? Everyone's in on the joke uh, because Clark Kent's this guy that's, you know, sort of just making fun of 
you know, the human race as he's this guy from Krypton. Um, right. So I didn't like sort of the brooding, dark, uh, you know, I'm this anguished Superman, which is something to explore. I get it. It's an origin story. But I, I like a little laugh in, in my Superman. I like a little Christopher Reeve nod and wink uh, to the audience. And I didn't think I necessarily got that in the uh, in the Man of Steel or in um, uh, Dawn of Justice. But um, well, from the reviews I've heard of Justice League, we do get to see a little bit more of that form of, you know, spoiler alert, Superman is in Justice League. Oh, uh, well, you do get it. to see a little bit more of that Superman. So um, I'm, I'm hoping it's a good thing because I do agree it, it's a, it was a lot more dark. Uh, I think they tried to approach it from the aspect of how Superman's reaction would be to a world that is in this sort of chaos. Uh, and anytime you fit Batman and Superman together, you run the risk of either being too campy, now everyone has to be sort of in Superman's mindset, or too brooding, and everybody's in Batman's mindset. So uh, I think they missed a lot of stuff in, in Dawn of Justice, but hopefully Justice League sort of rectifies something. So what are your expectations of Justice League? What are you looking for? What do you think? I, I expect it to be a lighter tone movie. Um, anytime you put that many characters together, uh, you inevitably lose screen time for all characters. Sure. Uh, trying to fit everybody in. So I think it's going to be a little more even tone. I mean, you have to use a lot of CGI in movies like this, so I hope it's a you know, realistic CGI as, as, as you can be. Um, but it's, I'm happy as long as they set up uh, the next movie's down the line pretty soon. Uh, I've been a little unhappy with how Ben Affleck's going to leave the role, but um, I'm hoping it'll be a pretty positive movie. So he is leaving the role. That is that is happening. Yeah, definitely. He He's even not really committed to the next standalone, The Batman, which is supposed to come out in, I believe, early parts of 19 now. I think originally it was 18. Uh, maybe it got moved to 19, maybe not. Uh, yeah, that will be his... Uh, if he is in it, it will be his last role, um, and then they're going to find a way to transition to another actor. Wow. Wow. Breaking yeah, news he, here on the Show's really, Worth Initiative. Yeah, he really was not happy with the uh, kind of how he was received out of Donna Justice. I think it caught him completely by surprise how poorly the movie was reviewed. And mm-hmm. even his Batman was – actually, everyone kind of liked his Batman performance uh, – but the movie in general, he just is, I think, not happy with all the criticism. On top of all the criticism he got when he was initially cast, mm-hmm. which is what everyone cast in those roles go through, from Jared Leto even to Michael Keaton when he was uh, cast and Leto as a Joker. So yeah, what do you? I mean, switching gears a little bit, what do you think of Suicide Squad? I liked it okay. Uh, I liked the beginning pace of it, but as a movie in a whole, I, I you know, it just kind of was man. Mm-hmm. And I, it was just kind of, I think they could have done a lot better. And then when, once I learned that they kind of cut a ton of the Joker scenes out of it, mm-hmm. I, I thought, well, I mean, if you're if you're trying to have the first Joker movie since really the second iconic Joker portrayal with Heath Ledger, you, you need to introduce the audience more to really the style of Joker. And we really kind of got a, a goofy, kind of all over the place Joker that, his motives were kind of unclear, and it was just a chaos Joker, which I guess you could argue that is a Joker. But at least with Ledger's performance, you kind of see you saw what his goal was. Uh, and in this one, even if it's treated as an introductory to the Joker, I just thought it left a lot lacking. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that too, and I think um, yeah, no, I couldn't say it any better. I thought I thought the Joker, I, I was expecting a lot more in his role and his character, and I. 
you know, he sort of pop up on screen. I wasn't really sure what was going on. Then he'd disappear for 30 minutes at a time. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought it could have been more. So I was a little, a little disappointed in how that sort of landed. Yeah, and, and Harley Quinn's performance was pretty good. I, I liked Will Smith's uh, Deadshot performance pretty good. I, I didn't like Killer Croc's performance as it kind of just made him a stereotype. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think they could make it a lot better. I, hopefully what the Justice League provides is a jumping off point where you just are making better movies. And quite frankly, Marvel and their movie list is really the standard at this moment. So let's let's uh, let's level set for the Marvel Universe versus the DC Universe. We know that, and I say level set because Marvel has a 20-year jump, right? They got a, a head start from when we were back in high school. We started seeing yeah. X-Men movies, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll make a caveat for that. So let's say we start with, um, you know, sort of maybe from Guardians of the Galaxy going forward. And that includes, you know, obviously will be, you know, Black Panther, uh, the Infinity right. Wars, you know, et cetera, et cetera, coming down the pipe versus the DC Universe. Does DC from that going from that time frame, you know, sort of accounting for the head start that Marvel had, does DC, in your opinion, have a chance to catch Marvel in terms of the movies that they put out? No, I don't think even anywhere close. And part of the issue is because back in oh, oh, maybe it was oh eight or so, whenever they whenever they started this little compact phase one through phase four Marvel universe. And they, I believe it really started with Iron Man one and then went to the, the Hulk standalone movie with Liv Tyler and, uh, Ed Norton. Uh, right? Yeah. And Ed Norton is a, that's still considered canon, even though they switched on to another Hulk, they went through a succinct area where you tell a story, you move on to that story, and then you're able to go from different stories involving different villains, obviously, but you don't just, throw in your, you know, head villain right away. Whereas right. Justice League has been, not Justice League, DC has been in the position where, okay, they're having success. We did Man of Steel. We really didn't know that we were going to start a universe necessarily from Man of Steel, but let's start a universe and all of a sudden let's do Batman versus Superman. And, oh, let's do Justice League and let's put Darkseid in there. Well, Darkseid is, you know, unless people wanted to argue Brainiac, they're the main villains of the DC world. So where do you go from there? Sure. And you're in your third movie or your right. fourth movie. So, right. you know, we've seen Thanos on stage with the Marvel Universe, I believe, in uh, an extra one of those end credit scenes. And then we saw him on screen in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. But we, we've been teased him since 2012, essentially, when it right. was post-Avengers, post-credit. So th that's why at this point, if I hear, like I see a trailer for Black Panther, I know it's going to be good. Right. If I hear an announcement like, okay, we got a Green Lantern movie coming out in 2020, I don't even know if they're going to get to make it because I'm <laughs> not sure of it. <laughs> and, and, and then you get the infighting of, okay, well, we got Matt Reeves, who uh, directed all the Planet of the Apes movies, and that's a good, pretty good trilogy, the latest trilogy that came out. He's going to do the standalone Batman, but you got the Batman actor saying, no. Oh, I don't even know if I want to do that. <laughs> so it's just sort of that in-house fighting, and there's just been so many missteps and miscalculations with the movies they started out. But like you said, it's the equal footing sort of scenario. Was Iron Man 1 that good of a movie compared to what we're seeing now? No. Right. And maybe that's just how it's going to be with how we look at Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman. 
but they've got to get six, seven years down the line of still sure. making movies, and I don't know if everyone's going to be really interested in that. I was shocked. Two things. One, I agree with that 100%. Like, I... I was shocked that they the Justice League is what third movie out of the canon, fourth movie out of the canon technically. Um, it, like I thought that would be sort of a you know Infinity War type deal where we there's a culmination, right? We do the, we get the Aquaman standalone, perhaps Wonder Woman did well, uh, you get the you know the Batman, you know, and then we sort of lead up to the Justice League um, uh, you know series of movies. But you know, so that was a little weird to me. And it's also very frustrating because, say what you will, bar none, DC is holding the two, you know, probably biggest iconic, most iconic properties in, in you know, the oh, comic yeah. universe. You know, they have Batman yeah, and Superman. Yeah. And I was talking with someone, and like you were saying with Wonder Woman, I mean, she's on par with Superman in the comics. Like, there's no, to me, and, I, and I'd love to hear the argument from anyone, yourself included, there's no woman on the same footing as Wonder Woman in the Marvel Universe. You know, it's not, yeah. I, I right. mean... She's probably third on the roster for DC. I mean, what woman is third on the roster in Marvel? There is none. Yeah, see, you, you would have to go on the villain side of it for Marvel. Hela, that was just represented in the Thor Ragnarok movie that just came out two mm -hmm. weeks ago. She's mm -hmm. incredibly powerful. But as far as, like, on the hero side of things, I mean, you, you make a joke that you've got, and I believe it was the, the scene in Avengers 1 where it showed sort of a circle of all the, all the heroes, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, and even... Uh, Hawkeye, and then there you have Scarlett Johansson's character, and she's just loading her nine millimeter Glock, and you're like, "Well, is she going <laughs> to shoot shoot the aliens?" With <laughs> so yeah, I I really like the fact that Wonder Woman is, yeah, she has no equal as far as the hero side of Marvel. Right. No, I agree. Um, all right. Well, let's do this, my friend. I have a list of men who have played um, Batman. And I am excluding uh, the late great Mr. Adam West because they, even though they did do a Batman movie from a TV series, um, yes. we will we will let him ascend into the heavens, sort of George Mikan style, and exclude him from this list. I would like to have two things from you. One, I would like to get your ranking uh, from. Uh, let's say I got five here. Let's go from number five to number one of cinematic Bat Batmen Batmans. I don't know what okay. the uh, the term is, and then after that, I want to know which Batman is which NBA player, current or former. So okay. your top five, sir. Uh, I think I don't think this list will be too shocking as far as my rankings go. I think it's historically thought that George Clooney did the worst, uh, and a little bit's because maybe who directed it, Joel Schumacher, but uh, Clooney was not. Uh, he had the famous. They, his suit had bat nipples on it. <laughs> I remember this. Scenario. Uh, so Clooney would be five for me. Okay. Um, although I did like Batman Forever, uh, I would put maybe Val Kilmer fourth. Um, I liked it pretty good, even though it was coming off the heels of Keaton's two performances. Uh, so I would put Val Kilmer fourth. Um, I would probably put Christian Bale third. Um, Interesting. Interesting. His portrayal of uh, Bruce Wayne is the best portrayal of Bruce Wayne. Ah, okay. Uh, necessarily, though, his Batman, not that physically imposing, uh, not that necessarily real skilled fighting, even though he was trained uh, by Ra's al Ghul in the Batman Begins movie, um, you really didn't get a sense on his physical skills to fight um, 
maybe as well as you did uh, how Ben Affleck is shown in the later movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that uh, – so Bale would be third, and I would probably put maybe Affleck second – uh, just because Michael Keaton is sort of the standard bearer, uh, he had two movies um, where we got to see his ability, and I, along with Tim Burton directing, I, I just like those style of, of standalone Batmans, uh, including how Catwoman was portrayed uh, in, in Batman Returns. So I would put Keaton one, Affleck two, Bale three, Kilmer four, and Clooney five. Interesting point on the Bale being the best Bruce Wayne. Can I ask you this? Did you, and this may be just be me. Uh, when Bale was Bruce Wayne, it was great. I mean, I, I was picturing, you know, who's it? My man Bateman from American Psycho, but uh, which is a great film. Um, but then sometimes I felt like when he was talking as Batman, it kind of got really like, you know, where's yes. the detonator? Like well, that was weird. Like I didn't know, like where'd that come from? Was that just me, or did is anyone? Well, so here's so here's the knock on Michael Keaton's version of Batman that he talked the same way. Uh, so anyone that's paying attention could say, yeah, you kind of sound like Bruce Wayne, actually. Uh, now, now, Bale went to the extremes, whereas they sort of cleared that up in Affleck's portrayal by putting a voice modulator in the suit to where he doesn't have to just strain his voice right. uh, the way Bale did. But Bale's on record saying that he went hoarse a number of times because of that voice. And uh, it was definitely his voice, but... Yeah, you you had no idea that that Batman was that <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even know that about Keaton. I didn't think about that. But yeah, I guess that is. Yeah, just... I can go back and watch, and it's it's um, basically Bruce Wayne voice. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Um. So I. I oh, so so NBA players. Um. I would say because Keaton's sort of the standard bearer. Uh. He's the Michael Jordan of the Batman. He's kind of who everyone compares. Uh, to even if some other actors have maybe a, a better skill set based on maybe a, a director coming in and taking the character a different way. But I, I would probably put Jordan as, as the Keaton of Batman. Also means or, he can never be toppled, no matter who you put in as the new Batman. Keaton will always be. Well, see, that's that's where my opinion maybe of Jordan has sort of uh, morphed or adapted a little bit. Because uh, I guess for my Jordan being the best player of all time, it's really a combination of his skill set plus his uh, accomplishments versus maybe let's say like a LeBron where LeBron's skill set is so much higher than Jordan's. He's just not going to be able to get all of the accolades that Jordan got Sure. Uh, with the six championships, et cetera. So I think maybe that's where I would go with it, where Keaton's performance may be outdone uh, by a different Batman, but he's still really the standard uh, bears to, to, to a point, Jack Nicholson's uh, comparison or, Portrayal of the Joker is iconic, but a lot of people would say what Heath did was better. Yeah. Even yeah. though Jax is the the standard bear. So I, w- I would go Jordan with Keaton. Okay. Uh, I'll go in line since, uh, let's see, Keaton played the first two Batman, and then Kilmer played in Batman Forever. He's sort of the Grant Hill, I would say. Okay. Uh, Grant it's... Hill sort of came out of college, and maybe maybe because he was a little bit tall, I think he was an inch or two taller than Jordan, sort of got the Jordan comparisons as maybe who the next Jordan would be. Uh, injuries sort of derailed him. Obviously, Kilmer only played once as Batman, so injuries didn't derail him, but we didn't get to see an extended amount of Al Kilmer either. So that's kind of where it went to mind because Grant Hill still had a successful run uh, as a player, and Val Kilmer's Batman is still considered successful. So 
I would match them two up. Uh, Clooney uh, was in Batman and Robin, and because he's the worst, I'm going to call him Harold Miner. <laughs> I'm going to say Baby Jordan. <laughs> Everybody wants to be compared to Jordan at that time. I would say Harold Miner had the look. Clooney had the, <laughs> the, the, the dimple in the chin. He had the Batman look. He was uh, hot at the it, time. He was really hot coming off of ER. He was, uh, yeah. yeah. And he had all the, you know, remember Harold Miner won the uh, dunk contest and he yep. was really baby Jordan there for a minute and it just really didn't pan out. Um, I would say Christian Bale would be the Kobe mm-hmm. um, comparison. He's considered a lot of people like the Dark Knight trilogy more so than the original two Keaton uh, movies, and I think that's in line with personal preference. A lot of people like Kobe over Jordan, even though they're completely wrong. And they ride hard for Bale, like they ride hard for Kobe, too. So hard, yeah. Exactly. That's why I think it's probably a pretty good um, comparison. And then I would have Aflac as LeBron from a couple standpoints. Uh, physically imposing, it's the most physically imposing Batman we've seen on screen, mm-hmm. uh, with the highest skill level of fighting ability. Um Someone may want to argue Christian Bale because of the training I mentioned earlier, but uh, Affleck's the most physically imposing. He's now the older Batman. LeBron's a little bit older in the league now. And with Ben Affleck deciding that he's going to leave the role, it's perfect with LeBron leaving Cleveland again. Look at that. That dovetailed nicely. Well done. Shout out to Harold Miner making the pod, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) He is definitely listening. (laughs) Well, all right, before we go, um, we like to do something here on the Shuttleworth Initiative. If some of you are basketball heads slash movie heads like ourselves, you know that the um, Shuttleworth Initiative is a reference to the great Jesus Shuttleworth, uh, played by Ray Allen in the movie He Got Game. Um, For those of you who didn't know that and listened to a basketball pod, um, props to you for taking a chance on something you knew nothing about. Um, But... uh, so we are in line with our, our TVs and our DVRs as much as we are NBA League Pass. So before we go, uh, Chris and I will let you know what we're watching, what we're hoping to watch, and uh, what we're staying away from. So in the segment we call, what are you watching, what do you like to watch, and uh, what are you not watching? Uh, Chris, I will pose the first question to you. What is on your DVR right now? So I've actually uh, taken a liking to Modern Family. Um, Interesting. Being being so, they're I believe they're in their ninth season. Uh, but uh, my girlfriend has not seen any of them. So uh, bought all of them, and now we're sort of just plotting through the early episodes to kind of get all the way through. So I, I would say that that's probably what I've been watching the most, even though it's not a, a technically new show. Sure. All right. So you went all in and got them all, huh? Yeah, went in and got all nine seasons, and uh, more expensive than I would like to. <laughs> That'll happen. Uh, I've uh, rediscovered G.I. Joe, the real American hero, uh, the cartoon yeah. from our youth. Um, apparently, um, I just talked into my Comcast remote and said G.I. Joe one day. I was looking for the movie. I was looking for the 1986 film with the uh, aliens and, you know. Uh, which, oh, yeah, that's right. Looking back, this will have to be another pod, but I was just thinking about it. Um, you know, the, I don't know if you remember, the aliens were, they were Cobra La. And then the guys would yell, they're like, Cobra La 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 La. And now that I think about that right now, 
Oh man, we got to. Uh, that sounds slightly racist, maybe. So we'll that have is, to. That, that, yeah, it's not even strange. <laughs> I, I mean, there were aliens from another planet. Yeah. GI yeah. Joe was fighting against terrorists, and I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll. That's uh, all up and down cinema, though. You, you go through <laughs> that early Planet of the Apes with Charlton Heston. And I'm sure. Like, Come on, sure. Right. No. Um, uh, okay. So that's what's on your DVR. What's in your queue? What are you hoping to get into? So that's a tougher question. Um, I don't know if I'm if I have anything that I'm really just looking forward. You know, I, I've sort of been the guy that has protested Game of Thrones. Ah. I've, I've never got into it. Uh, I've only seen a few episodes, and uh, the girlfriend wants to to watch that, and I just can't pull the trigger. They're hour long episodes, and I just don't know if I want to make the time. <laughs> uh, I have so I have in so in my queue. Uh, a suggestion of my wife is Stranger Things, but it's getting oh, interesting. Another one. Yeah, yeah uh, what's happening with me though, and that, and the third one that we'll we'll discuss, and you kind of you, you you know you sort of um, telegraphed your punch there a bit. The third uh, one we have here on our list is the quote unquote Phil Jackson. What are you Phil Jacksoning about? In other words, like we talked about earlier. What thing are you resisting? What thing are you resisting oh. change to? So, uh, my so Stranger Things for me, I bring that up because Stranger Things for me is getting to that that so many people are, yes. are really into it, and I'm a jerk like that. That is, uh, and I'm sort of that way with Game of Thrones. Like I've never watched Game of Thrones because people are like, oh, you should watch it. It's the best thing, and yeah. why don't you uh, watch it? And I'm just like, yeah, you guys are cooling me on it. I haven't even watched it yet, but I just, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. The more people that talk about it, the more, yeah, Phil Jackson's a good. Uh, <laughs> I'm Phil Jackson, so that's our Phil Jackson with the triangle. So Yeah, I'm, I'm digging in. Like, I've got two bad hips in my chair. I'm, I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. Is there anything that says, by the way, before we go, is there anything that says that having a super high chair helps with any of those issues he's got from the waist down? I feel like that's a power play on Phil's part. Because his chair uh, is it's always not, it's nonstop a power play because it didn't prevent him from getting up and down necessarily to put his hands on his hips or whistle at Scotty or whistle at uh, Kobe down the line. So it's it's got to be a power move. Now now granted he probably didn't want to sit on the floor, but it's not like the rest of the chairs were that low. Yeah, I just thought it was weird because he's already like six nine and just got all yeah. limbs, you know. And then he has this chair that's like two feet higher than his assistant. So I just thought that was kind of a jerk move. He's uh, basically standing and on his computer. <laughs> he's got the standing desk on the sideline. Which I mean, uh, ergonomically could be better for you. I mean, again, maybe I've we heard, get. Yeah, I've heard benefits to the standing desk. I'm just maybe Phil Jacksoning that too. <laughs> Well, uh, that does it for our first episode of the Shuttlesworth Initiative. We uh, appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Uh, we'd like to thank all the folks um, that have made a stop by our pod. And again, we just want to make a plug for all the off-the-glass uh, uh, pods that we host here on the site. Um, you know, you have infinite choices. You could be anywhere in the world listening to a pod, but you are here with us. And um, on behalf of Chris, I just want to say that we appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thanks, Chris. Yep.